Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew and Jay. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode six for season eight. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 18th of August, 2018. This episode was sponsored by Sentry.io. I'm Jay Strawn here with my Insert Creative Adjective Season 8 co-host, Drew Freeman. Thanks, Jay. Also, our guests this episode are Kelvin Lau and Vincent No, authors of the book Data Structures and Algorithms in Swift from RayWenderlich.com. Kelvin is an author and one of the final past editors for RayWenderlich.com. He is one of the maintainers of the Swift Algorithm Club project. He says he's passionate in many disciplines, some which include the Swift programming language, which is a bit of a surprise considering the book, the club, and everything else, iOS development, server-side development, data structures, and algorithms, and he may or may not like potted plants we don't know as of yet. We may ask later. Vincent's a resident author. He is a software developer by day and an iOS Swift enthusiast by night. When you sort out the difference of those two, that's essential. He starts every morning with a homemade green smoothie in hand to fuel his day, and when he's not in front of the computer, he loves playing golf, frisbee, and working out. He may or may not not like potted plants. Today we're going to talk about what data structures and algorithms are. Also, later in the show, why it is important to learn them. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, same. Hopefully you have not been overwhelmed by this joyous introduction to both of you. And I guess the first important question is, potted plants, or should we just skip ahead? Potted plants. Hmm. <laughs> Tough question. What do you think, Vincent? Potted plants? I think if you guys have to think that long, you're not that into potted plants. Let us then go back to talking about data structures <laughs> and algorithms. This is a an amazingly good book that you guys put together because, because this is fundamental knowledge that really needs to be deeply ingrained. How do you, how do you first of all, explain the idea of data structures algorithms? Data structures are just containers that store data, such as your Swift array or a dictionary. Studying data structures is to learn the different ways you can model that container to make it efficient for one scenario or another scenario. And algorithms are just code that helps solve a problem. Yeah, also like you can think of algorithms as a roadmap process or like a set of rules to define or to solve that specific problem. Okay, so let's let's cool. back up to the data structures first. You mentioned yeah. arrays dictionaries. Would you consider a class a data structure? Like one that you make yourself? Yeah, for sure. Obviously the data structures that we're talking about, however, are ones that we've tried to develop for efficiency in repetitive use. You'd mentioned the array, you'd mentioned the dictionary, and from this I guess grows all of the other ways to arrange data to better find your way through it. Yeah, that's for sure. So like, when when would you use, so, well, I've been reading your book because I've had a lot of technical interviews in the past week and it's been very helpful. And I want to know when are some times when you would use algorithms and data structures in everyday Swift? To start off, uh, for me personally, I use data structures not for their performance. I, I know that data structures and algorithms are often uh, associated with, to getting better performance. Like, better time complexities. But um, the projects I work on are relatively small in scale and getting that better performance is not as noticeable uh, than in bigger projects. So I use them because they are great abstractions. 
So for instance, um, one of my apps required me to build a list of items, music tracks that needs to loop endlessly. And I can always um, use an array to do that and build some logic around manipulate the, manipulating an index so that when it goes to the end of the index, it goes back to the startup at the index. I can put that data within a view controller and it could work. But um, that kind of method is error prone because we're exposing the index to everything around any other logic around it. So a good abstraction is to build a data structures such as a circular collection, which encapsulates that um, index logic into uh, its separate type. And all I need to do is then call one method that I created that always ensures that moves an index from the first point to the second point, And once it reaches to the end, it goes back to the beginning. So for me personally, I've been using data structures to, as a great, as a way to abstract my code and make it easier to understand. Yeah. You mentioned circular structures. I remember, obviously we all start, you know, with having a simple variable, then having an array of variables. Eventually you move up to dictionaries, hashes, etc. I remember the first one that really just jumped on me as going, oh, wait, this is cool. There is more stuff than you can do than I thought. And that was when we started getting into linked lists, when we got reverse traversable linked lists. And obviously then that grows immediately into trees. So how is it this this is something that's that both of you said, you know what, this is where I want to play for a long time. It's not just writing applications or views or nifty controls, but I want to just dig into these things, into the trees and make them work better. What is it that said this is this is something that really tickles an interest for both of you? Well, my passion for data structures and algorithms um, started back in school. took my first data structures and algorithm course, and um, it was just really interesting how like small changes to how you model that container can make dramatic impact to the performance of how that works. When I joined the Swift Algorithm Club, I thought it was a really cool repository to contribute to. As an open source project, there are so many different topics on there by so many different people. And they're so open to sharing their ideas and knowledge. It's also a great way for me personally to prevent myself from re being rusty on these data structures and algorithms because they're often, you know, uh, they're often a big part of your technical interviews. So um, whenever I work on the club or doing data structure or algorithm question for practice, it always feels like it's a, it's not a waste of time. It's helping me um, in my career. And it's also very fun when I do practice on data structures and algorithms. Uh, I th find it akin to practicing scales when you, if you play an instrument, oh, I like that metaphor. I, I do. That's a that's a good metaphor that, you know, you, you, you don't want that to get rusty. And even the basics or the, the, the fundamentals are something that you really need to just drill from time to time. Yeah, for sure. It's good exercise. And I've actually met people who play piano who say, you know, I, I really, as much as I love playing Chopin, Mozart, whatever, I love running my scales. Yeah, got to run your scales. Nice. How about you? Um, the reason why I got into um, data structures and algorithms as well is because um, Jay and Joshua, you recently wrote your book on design patterns, right? Yeah. Um, I really find that um, mesh well with data structures and algorithms because, um, for example, within our book, um, some of our chapters, we, we use a lot of um, 
um, protocol-oriented programming. For example, like um, you can model, like you can use a protocol to um, um, specify a queue as a protocol, where you can specify it to like NQ elements, DQ elements, and um, the underlying implementation of the queue um, could be anything, right? It could be like an array. You can use a linked list or a, a stack data structure. So. Um, I really like how we could kind of break apart these abstractions to make it more reusable. And in a way, it's kind of like a design pattern, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So we, we did briefly mention the, the Swift Algorithm Club. Can you, can you explain what that is? So the Swift Algorithm Club is a open source GitHub project started by a guy called Matthijs Holmans, which is our author of the iOS Apprentice in the Ray Wunderlich team. Uh, so he initially just wanted to uh, write about algorithms and data structures in Swift. And uh, since it's an open source proje- uh, project, uh, people heard of it, they joined in, and uh, eventually uh, more and more algorithms and data structures accumulated. And right now it's just a, it's a treasure trove of knowledge that uh, the community has contributed in this data structures and algorithm space. It really is like a big recipe box of some beautiful code. And and it almost seems like there is a, a fun competition to see who can optimize these things better. It's, it's, it's like, no, you know, you know, we, we haven't quite squeezed out the, the, the right number of iterations on this one. Maybe we can fix it even better. And, and you're using some top notch coding style. I've noticed there's a lot of generic so that it, it's easily expandable and usable in other projects. It, it's just some amazing stuff. And as it's open source, it's not like there's membership for this club other than wanting to go in there and look at it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just now we're having a fairly big discussion on how to implement binary search better in the Swift algorithm club. Yeah, I have to admit, I punted on that one in one interview. Somebody asked me which um, sort algorithm I think would be best for a project. And, and I looked at him and I said, well, not knowing what your data structure is and not knowing the kind of variations, that's sort of an open-ended question. But if you'd like, I'll send you to the Google page that shows you many sort algorithms, shows you the O notation for them. And then we can go from there because, you know, I'll try different ones until I find out which one works best. And he just was like, okay, you know what I'm talking about. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> I kind of remember back in um, college when I first started learning programming, I had no idea what data structures and algorithms was. And all I knew was um, bubble sort. So I, I went into this interview and he asked me a, a sorting problem to sort a bunch of numbers. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's easy. You could use bubble sort. And I, I didn't know like that was the worst um, time, time efficiency. It's like, I was like, yeah, I solved this problem. That's great. And yeah, well, I mean, at least kind you, of funny looking back at it. At least you knew a sort. Yeah. And, and that's that's helpful. I mean, there's we've mentioned some of the data structures. Let's actually talk about what really is unique about them, because you know we have all levels of listeners, some uh, beginner intermediate. I, I guess let's let's talk about what is a fairly common practice in, in some of these early ones is the idea of the node. Yep. Can you talk about what the node is, why we use it, and how that works? It's all about building those containers and how to structure them in an efficient way. And this concept of the node is just one discrete compartment of a container. And you would arrange these nodes in specific ways to make it efficient to access that node. Put it simply, it's a compartment for one piece of data 
out of many different nodes and all these nodes make up a data structure. When you talk about nodes and you have these nodes, I mean, so in an array, for example, it can only hold one type of object or objects that all conform to the same protocol. When you're making your own nodes, is it also very important to do that? And why why does Swift have it so that you can only put one type of thing in an array? Why are those data structures all homo- homogenous in type? Yeah. I recently like um, watched a talk on um, generics at um, for WWDC 2018, and um, they, they kind of go over why we need generics. So with your specific example of um, why um, an array can't have multiple different types, in them is um, because like, for example, you have an array of integers and all of um, those integers or um, the same types have the same um, amount of space. But if you try to have different types in there, it would just be um, within Swift, you would categorize those as like any, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the problem with that is um, any could be of any variable of size. So when that happens, there's a layer of indirection you have to put into um, your elements because each element now has a different amount of space. So with that layer of indirection, it has to point to different memory spaces. So the array can't be um, contiguous in memory anymore. Mm, cool. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's partially an optimization yeah. by the Swift team. You know, if you have a, the same type, then each element would have the same size. So it's easy to reason with and compiler can make optimizations. Right. Uh, I mean, Objective-C was has the arrays that allowed for any types. And um, now it doesn't in Swift. And I think part of the reason is just making the programming language easier to use for most people, make it easier to reason with, and also those compiler optimizations that Vincent talked about. It's also a lot more type safe too, right? Because if you have like any op- objects in your array, you would have to um, kind of force unwrap it somehow or um, check to, to see the type before you use it. Yeah, that sounds a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks for that. It's just one too many if as if as bangs, which is is overworked. Yeah. One of the issues there that comes up in the book early on is when you're copying uh, an array or copying a linked list that maybe you're now going to point to something else in the list. And the term that comes up is cal. Copy on write. Copy on write is one of the key features of the Swift programming language. And it's what helps make Swift a safe programming language. So how it works is um, when you have some type with mutable states and you assign it to another variable, nothing happens initially. But when you mutate the state of that variable, a copy is made uh, so that it doesn't affect any other reference to that variable. That act of copying on write, copying when you mutate something, is copy on write. So um, it's a safety feature that grants you a lot of things like thread safety, makes sure that it makes programming safe, uh, and... I think that's the main reason. Well, does so does copy on write, does that affect memory at all? Is there a reason that someone would choose not to include copy on write? Yeah. If you want shared mutable state, then you don't want to implement copy on write because you want everyone to see that data changed. Mm-hmm. And, and it's actually more efficient in terms of memory because when you have copy on write, uh, it means that when you mutate that container, uh, mutate that type, you need to make a copy of a bunch of 
properties of that type. If it's a data structure, then you need to make a copy of all the data that is inside the data structure. So for example, if you assign a, a new variable to a linked list that already has a reference to it and you change it, then it has to make a copy of all the data in the array. So in terms of memory, then you have to allocate a brand new array and that's an ON space, a space complexity worth of memory. That's basically the essence of value type. Yeah, that's value semantic. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to throw the flag on the play for those who are into sports. One of the things that throw a lot of people is, and you know what's coming up, you said it's O, etc. So let's talk about O's. Let's talk about what is a big O notation. Who wants to explain big O notation for the people who, as of yet, have not learned that this will become a part of their lives. So big O notation. Before we talk about that, I guess I'll start by talking about scalability. Um, I think one of the questions that your project manager or product manager will ask is whether your current implementation or your, or your current plan is going to make a scalable app. There's a, a lot of different dimensions of scalability from architecture to using the right design patterns. And then we have how fast your code runs or how much memory your code takes to run. So uh, in data structures and algorithms, scalability is mainly in the latter two aspects, how fast your code can run and how much memory it takes. And um, the study of that is called complexity analysis. Uh, And I'll analyze their time and space complexity. Time refers to how the speed of the algorithm as the input data grows in size. Number of operations that get called. Yep. And then for spacing complexity is the amount of memory you need to allocate for this algorithm to work. So there's many tiers or magnitudes of these time and space complexities, and their terms range from linear, quasi-linear, logarithmic, um, quadratic. Exponential. Exponential. Factorial. (laughs) Factorial, double exponential. There's a lot of different terms. Really, really badly done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there's a lot of different terms, and they wanted to come up with something uh, a little easy to remember and more expressive, and that's where big O notation comes in. So big O notation is just a very abbreviated term for these other terms that I talked about, and it tells you or tells other people how this algorithm can perform as input data grows in size. So using some of the basics with linear, you're basically saying as your number of objects that you have to go through grows, so grows at the same rate, the number of times you have to process it, sort of a a 4n loop. Yep, Yep. that's linear. Obviously, the best one I think is 01, which says doesn't matter how many times, it's only going to run once. Mm -hmm. Constant time. Right. Then things get uglier when you say, okay, like, for example, the aforementioned bubble sort. Yeah, that one's, uh, what's the big O notation of bubble sort? Um, N squared. Mm, yeah. yeah. So if you have to run it two times, you're running four operations. But if you're running it a hundred times, you're running 10,000 operations. It grows horribly. Um, so, and it's um, actually really interesting because um, if you kind of map out and compare the linear time complexity and the quadratic time complexity on a graph, um, initially quadratic time would be a a lot faster initially for a small set of n numbers but as you continue to grow this n data set there's this 
intersection point where linear time will be a lot faster for a larger amount of elements. So that's why O of n is more scalable compared to n squared. We, we barely have talked about some of these algorithms and what they're doing. We've, we've mentioned them by name. We've given them some lip service. And I think we'll take a few moments. And when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about the algorithms and we'll talk about the importance behind all this. The RayWenderlick.com podcast will be right back. But first, a message from our sponsor. You're a very good developer. Probably. Regardless, your apps crash. That's unavoidable. What is avoidable is wasting time trying to track down the cause of those crashes. Sentry.io provides mobile and full-stack error tracking that lets you monitor and fix problems in real time. See the severity and scope of the error, get immediate access to the call stack, connect the problem to the commit that caused it, and fix it without delay. Sentry, a name so common they have to include their top-level domain in their advertising to make sure you remember them. Sentry.io. Open source, full stack, and not owned by Google, Microsoft, Apple, or any other giant conglomerate. And a special thank you to Sentry.io for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wendelick Podcast. Welcome back. We talked a lot about data structures in the last half, and in this half, let's talk about algorithms. So let's talk more about what they actually are. Um, why are they important? If you write a bad algorithm, it has a dramatic impact on how your user experiences your app. A bad algorithm can make your app feel slow, or it can also take a lot of memory and deprive your app from precious resources. All right, so when we talk about algorithm, we're basically talking about sort of the recipe to do an activity, that, that code that specifically handles yes. one conceptual idea. Yeah. And if I'm right, when we really talk about data structures, algorithms, we really are focusing on, on two main guys, and that's search and sort. Those are the two biggies that a lot of people always talk about. Are there others that really fit into that? You're doing this kind of thing. There's. Can you think of any other ones, but it's, I know certain sort of the big ones. Yeah, you can consider the function that inserts an element into a data structure as an algorithm as well. Okay. Um, how you insert an element, for example, is what a, one of those self-balancing trees are great at. Now, there's specific steps that you need to do in the insertion to make that self-balancing tree self-balancing. Yeah, not everything can be as simple as add to end yep. or or remove from you know pop or push yep so not all functions that you write are going to be algorithms what is the difference between view did load and setting up a view versus what you would consider to be an algorithm. Hmm. I'm trying to figure out whether or not I agree with that. Uh-huh. Okay. An algorithm basically is is the the way that you code a process. With view to load, well view to load admittedly is also a a responder to a call. So, you know, view to load could actually do very little. You know, it just simply acknowledges, okay, done. View to load could then say, well, okay, the view loaded, let me go sort your data. So there's the algorithm for the sort. So it's not so much the, the function call, but it's more the activity that's going on. I think it's a, a little bit philosophical on what should be considered an algorithm or not. And like, do you consider a one line statement an algorithm? It does something. Uh, but mm. that is a, that's a very good debate. That that's that's one of those things that we we do actually have comments in the uh, you know, we have a, a comment in, in in the the podcast page. I'd love to hear what people think on on that one because that one 
as I love to refer to it, could always turn into yet another Emacs VI battle. We know that just about anything could be an algorithm, depending on your philosophical view. Let's let's talk about uh, the, the the biggies, the sort and the search. You mentioned earlier the the bubble sort. Do you want to explain what a bubble sort is? Why why it's called a bubble sort and what it's doing? And- yeah. So um, the reason why bubble sort is bad is because what it does is you take an unsorted array, and what it does is it goes through. The, it t- let's say it starts from the first index and it checks the value at that first index and goes through every single element in that array to so it it goes through every single element in that array to check to see if it's um smaller than or greater than that element and if it is then it iterates to the next element and it kind of traverses through um the list every single time for every single element which is basically doing like n squared work i was gonna say okay what's the o <laughs> Give me the O, man. Oh, yeah. So you basically, you're hitting everything every time. Mm-hmm. For every single element. Every single element, you'll hit every single element again. Yes. Or what's your favorite replacement for bubble sort? Yeah, I mean, I, I like um, quick sort, um, merge sort, um, those um, divide and conquer strategies, because um, they divide the uh, array into multiple different partitions and just sorts. It breaks it down into a single element and then recombines them. Well, they're both they're both divide and conquer. What's the difference? What is the difference between quick and merge? So with quick sort, um, it has to do with partitions, and um, with a partition, uh, it depends on various different partition strategies. Um, there's various partition strategies where you have to select a pivot, and the pivot's really important because it breaks the array into um, different segments. Um, the first segment is everything that is less than the pivot. Um, the middle segment is everything that's equal to the pivot, and um, the third section is everything that is greater um, than the pivot. And it, it uses that same pivot within each segment and breaks it up even further um, till it's sorted, and it recombines them again, depending on the partition strategy. Partition strategies could go into, like, um, you can choose a random pivot, so just randomize an index within an array and choose that as a pivot, or you can start at the beginning of the list, the end of the list, or you divide it by two, always splitting in the middle, um, and there's advantages and disadvantages to um, the partition you choose, which is why quicksort is not really a a stable sort. Yeah, I'll take the merge sort one. Um, So merge sort is one of those divide and conquer algorithms. And the way it works is um, you keep splitting up that collection of elements into halves and you keep doing that over and over again until you get to the point where you split them all into one element containers. And then at that point you backtrack and you, you start merging those one element containers to two element containers. And then in the next step, you merge those two element containers into uh, four element containers. And then uh, after uh, a series of those processes, you come back with a sorted container. That's the divide and conquer strategy because it always splits up, divides these tasks, and then um, you conquer them by merging them back together. Hence merge sorts. And I think both quick and merge are n log n. Yep. Yes, those are general purpose uh, sorts that. Which is better than an n squared. Obviously, it's never never going to be as good as as a linear. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but it's 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 
mostly, if I remember correctly, it sort of looks linear for quite some time with just a very, very slight curve to it. Uh, in the beginning, probably. I mean, anything eventually is going to just get worse and worse because uh, just the nature of all of the data yep. there. But um, with QuickSort, you got to be careful with um, what, what partitioning strategy you choose to select a pivot because in worst case, it could be... Um, N squared time as well. If you always pick the bad pivot, it's gonna yeah. It's you. You're really just almost resorting back to a to a bubble at that point. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Kevin, have you have you thought through what your favorite algorithm is? Okay, I, I got two candidates: uh, either insertion sort or radix sort. Mm. Uh, I'll first talk about insertion. Um, insertion sort is interesting because it's not associated with being a fast algorithm most of the time. Um, average time complexity is quadratic N squared. So um, the two other sorts we talked about, merge sorts and quick sorts, has an average time complexity that is way better than insertion sort. But um, in certain situations, insertion sort can be linear time, O of N. So very interesting. And that, that situation is if the collection you're trying to sort is already almost fully sorted, for example, you have every element sorted except for one or two values. In that situation, insertion sorts is extremely powerful and it outperforms any other sorts that you can think of at O of N time. Uh, so I think that duality is very interesting for insertion sort. Yeah, because the sorts don't actually necessarily know what the sort case is and they're going to go through their process regardless. It's just that insertion sorts process is better at ignoring things that are already taken care of. Yep, correct. And then my other algorithm is radix sorts. Uh, I like that one because it it adopts a completely different strategy compared to your traditional compare sh comparison sorts. Um, it is quite hard to explain <laughs> how it works. <laughs> I was about to say, so, Radix is not one that I use very often. And it's, is it, is it a comparing sort? It is not a comparing sort. Um, it's, so can you at least touch on the idea of how you can sort something without comparing things? Hmm, okay. Yeah, I'll try. So uh, Radix sort uses something called a bucket sort within it. And, the way bucket sort works is, first of all, the prerequisite of a bucket sort is the element has to have some sort of position notation. For example, for integers, there's the ones place, the tens place, the hundreds place. Okay. The idea of bucket sort is to keep dividing all the elements that you're trying to sort by 10 and putting, putting them into buckets. And if you keep putting those buckets and redistributing them and putting them all those values back into buckets and then redistributing them, eventually you're going to get a sort of collection without making any comparisons. It almost, in, in a way, sounds like 
a an old style coin counter where you've got the holes that are different sizes and you just sort of shift the sift the coins through the holes and if it's a bigger coin it drops into one set of holes if it's a smaller coin it drops into a smaller set of holes and that way you can guarantee that you're not necessarily comparing coin to coin you're just comparing size of coin to itself yeah that that's a great um great way to put it i think that encapsulates the idea fairly well it's actually how they they searched for gold back in the 1800s was just you know sifting the sand through the thing and the sand falls out the gold stays you know what's important there um but yeah i i I understand you've actually you've actually helped me really grasp the concept of the of the radix sort now that i i see that concept of the the concentric holes cause the buckets to say well this is bigger so we'll put all those together now once we have this bucket we can shift that bucket around and we're we're sorting based on its own individual merits rather than its comparison to another one's individual merits yeah great great summary that's great i think that one should win for your uh for your, for your favorite, just because it is uh, so unique in the whole process. How, now, how is the Radix as far as complexity? Because that that since you're not comparing, how do you how would you even think about the annotation for that? If I remember correctly, it, it the time complexity is n log n, but uh, there is a chance it can go beyond that. Um, uh, how you should think about it is. If the elements that you're trying to sort is evenly distributed, meaning um, there's not a lot of duplicates and there's not a wide range of numbers, let's say your your array only ha- contains mainly three-digit numbers, as opposed to an array that contains one-digit number and then ten-digit numbers, the more uniformly distributed that your elements are the better performance you're going to get from the radix sort right because it doesn't need to it needs to make one of those bucket sort passes for every positional notation that it encounters in your collection so if there's only one if it's only single digit numbers bucket sort only needs to pass through the container once if it's 10 digit numbers then it needs to do that pass 10 times okay so we've talked a lot about sorting Obviously, the next thing to turn to is searching. And we we talked about the fact that things like the binary search trees really help in organizing the data for searches. When you're dealing with searches, does it really come down to the data organization? Yes. It it matters immensely. I mean, obviously, if if it's just an array, you pretty much walk the array there's there's not much you can do there right yep Yep. and that's called the linear search Mm -hmm. uh which i guess is on yep we really have to fall back on things like those trees because those help us with the organization of data maybe it's it's worth taking a moment to talking about graphs then do do graphs improve this are graphs more beneficial for a search or is really the, the, the binary search tree where you're getting the best indexing. So I, I think it depends on um, what the situation is. For example, like with graphs, um, you're trying to create relationships um, between like, um, let's say for example, like um, you have airplanes going into um, different um, countries and um, 
those routes have different costs. So there's a relationship between like um, the route um, to different destinations and the cost to that. And if you want to find a relationship to like find the cheapest flight to um, a certain destination, uh, maybe a graph would be a better fit because it kind of builds a network of um, all this data sets. But I think with like um, binary trees or um, using heaps, it's it's more of like comparing if um, like one thing is larger than the other. Um, for example, like with um, a heap, a heap is um, not really good for um, searching like um, a specific element, but its goal is to search for the, um, the, the element with the highest priority. So you could have a max heap, which um, benefits with um, getting the, always the largest element with, within like an integer array, or a min heap, which um, find, always finds the um, smallest element in um, log n time, I guess. And of course, there's also a heap sort as well. Right. You, you want to, I'm trying to figure out if, if, if we've described heaps sufficiently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, yeah, heap is, um, it's basically, you can think of it as a binary tree, but you can kind of represent it as an array. So basically, um, there are actually two types of heaps. There's a max heap and a min heap. Um, what a max heap does is, um, the root element of the heap will always be the largest element and its children would always be less than the parent for every parent within that tree. But for a min heap, it's the opposite. The root is always the smallest element and its children are um, greater than its parent. That's how I would represent a heap. And in order to kind of um, represent the heap in an array, so you can kind of just walk down the uh, binary tree level by level. So you just count the um, node at level one, which is just a root one. And then the root has two children, which is one and two. And then one and two has, uh, on the third level has four children. And you kind of just walk through that and you build up that array to represent a heap in an array data structure. So obviously this now leads me to the question, and we, we talked about your favorite. I'd like to have you both think about the question, in getting into data structures, and I don't just mean getting into it as, I guess I need to learn this, but both of you have become somewhat aficionados at, at, at poking at these, at these algorithms and, and, and trying to best optimize these structures. Can you talk about some of your oh wow moments? Moments where you looked at either an algorithm or a way of looking at an algorithm and said, that's, that just, I, I, the only way I can really define it is an oh wow moment, that it was something that you mentally put on your permanent board saying, this is, this is just something that, that has, has knocked me back in my seat. And I realize we're talking about code, so it's just like, it takes people who are really into this to say, yeah, I've had those oh wow moments. And goes back to the radix sort. <laughs> Which is fair. I mean, yeah, we did talk about that radix sort. Was was it just that you had not encountered a, a non-comparing sort and this was just seeing it so, uh, such a different approach? Yeah, I think it's exactly as you said. It's just so different and it promises, uh, you know, a great time complexity, depending on the situation. I've always had an interest in these kind of data or algorithms. Um, that 
can fare differently depending on the situation. I've always found that interesting. Are there a few others that, that fall into that realm of this is not a comparison sort? Uh, yeah, I believe there are a couple more. I can't remember off the top of my head. Bucket sort is a non-comparison sort. Uh, counting sort, I think, is also a non-comparison sort. Yeah, there are a couple of them out there. Okay. And do you have any oh wow moments you want to share? Yeah. Um, so um, as I mentioned um, briefly in the first part, I'm kind of a huge fan of the uh, design patterns book that Joshua and um, Jay wrote um, because I um, kind of really find the beauty in like writing readable and testable and maintainable code. Um, so like if you think of an array, like you can pretty much use an array to um, represent a queue. Um, you don't need to have like NQ, DQ, you don't need to have these extra functions. You can just pretty much do this with an array, array that remove at this index or array that insert at this index, but um, kind of really find the beauty of kind of um, making these data structures as protocols so that we can kind of hide the extra functionality that other data structures provide and kind of extract that and um, in a certain way so that you can kind of hide the extra implementations that we don't need. So we can just kind of focus on um, what a queue really is, which is just to, it's first in, first out. Inserting an element first will always come out first. So just focus on that concept. So it helps with like testability and maintainability and kind of, I think that's for me a, a wow moment because kind of appreciate the beauty of how everything connects together, but you can kind of hide implementations and just, yeah. That about wraps things up this time. I wanna thank Kelvin Lau and Vincent No for being here this time. I wanna thank my co-host, Drew Freeman, for holding down the fort with me this week. Uh, you can get everyone's Twitter information in the show notes. Our next episode is Unity ARVR. See you in two weeks. Back to you, Ray. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelk.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.